Good morning, Hope Church. It's a great honor to be here today. Um, as Colin said, uh, we know very many of you in, in various uh, spheres. Um, but for those that don't know you, just to give a little personal details, I'm married to my lovely wife, Adi, here. We've been married how long, darling? <laughs> 46 years. Eh? Sheesh. <clears throat> I think she deserves a crown. <laughs> And uh, we have three children, two of them live here in Zimbabwe, aren't we blessed? And uh, we have nine of the very, very best grandchildren. So sorry about your other grandparents out there, we've got the very best. And so it's a great privilege to be, able to be here. I was just thinking back that um, before Christian Counseling Centre, we were pastors at Northside Community Church, and uh, where the Roberts family attended. And I remember that occasion, I'm sure you do, love, when uh, I can't remember what it was, it was in the old hall at Northside before we built the big hall. And um, I, don't, I can't remember what it was, but there were some kids up there, including Craig, who was all of about four years old or something. And uh, so someone stuck the microphone in his face and said, what's your name? Craig. <laughs> in this deep voice. So even then, he was causing a stir. <laughs> So uh, today I'm talking about managing emotions and specifically talking about managing negative emotions. And uh, please understand that this is a huge topic. Um, I haven't got the time to go into the specifics of anxiety or anger or depression or guilt, those four major negative emotions. Uh, you'll have to get Craig to invite me back if you want to talk about those things. And all, all of them are vital because all of us experience those emotions, don't we? And uh, it's kind of stating the obvious that living in Zimbabwe is challenging. Is that right? With our dual currency, the inflation, the failed economy, uh, Zesa, or the lack of, we haven't had power since Tuesday, um, and the traffic, need I say more? <laughs> that doesn't evoke any emotions from you, does it? <laughs> so... And on top of all of that, we experience the stress of life in general, the kind of stress that people anywhere in the world might experience, running a business or dealing with uh, school children, um, trying to raise children in this media age, the social media age. In addition to that, we grieve the losses that inevitably we experience, losses of uh, family, uh, losses of job, losses of a relationship, and most, I would say most marriages suffer some sort of crisis at some point in their marriage. So all of those challenges mean that we will experience times of worry and anxiety, frustration and anger, times of feeling down and depressed. But here's the good news, folks. We will experience those things, we, we do experience those things, and that is normal. Normal and natural. If you experience those things, just to tell yourself you are normal. It is what we experience. The issue of mental health has become important in recent times. I'm sure you've heard that term bandied about, mental health. And mental health really is uh, including our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. And we would want to include spiritual well-being on top of that. And of course, it's out of our spiritual well-being that the uh, emotional, psychological, and social uh, well-being flows. But today, I'm just going to focus on emotions. 
And all of us, I'm sure, will be aware of IQ. I wonder whether you know what your IQ is. Um, and we see that as important, don't we? But do you know what your EQ is, your emotional quotient? And I think it's true to say that you can have a, a relatively high IQ, but if you've got a low EQ, you're not quite as effective as a person who has a relatively low EQ and a high EQ. Does that make sense? Maybe it'll make more sense when I define what EQ is. EQ is emotional quotient, and it can be defined as an awareness of our emotions, our emotional state, and that of others around us. And the ability to manage those emotions, that's what we're talking about today, managing our emotions in an appropriate and healthy manner. And generally speaking, I have to say, gentlemen, we don't do so well in this area, isn't that so? I, uh, uh, our female uh, partners and the, the, the ladies generally do much better in this area. They much, have a much higher EQ than we do generally. Um, and we're afraid very often to express our emotions. We've been taught it's wrong. At funerals, it's the women who will cry openly, and we will try and fight those tears back. We're reticent and afraid to admit fears or failure. And we're afraid, I think, sometimes that those emotions might get out of control. And so we bury them all. Anger maybe is more acceptable, but even then, we so often don't manage our anger in appropriate ways. So the first thing I want to say about these emotions is this is that these negative emotions are normal and natural. Normal and natural. You see, we are made in the image of God. And God is an emotional being. And I want to demonstrate that to you. He's an emotional being, and he's made us in his image. He's emotional, and we are. Let's have a look at some scriptures. The Lord experiences emotions. Deuteronomy 9.20 The Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. Quite angry, I'd say. Psalm 7 God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. Extreme anger. 1 Samuel, I was grieved that I made Saul king because he had turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. He was sad. He grieved what had happened with Saul. And Zephaniah, a positive emotion. We, he will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that a lovely picture of God's joy as he, as he looks at you? Genesis 6 and 6. The Lord was grieved that he made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. That was just before Noah. Grieved that he had made man. Isn't that interesting? He was so sad. What about the emotions that Jesus experienced? Let's again have a look at some scriptures. We all know that scripture where uh, Jesus got angry in the temple. In the temple courts, he found people, um, I need my glasses for this, I'm afraid, selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables and exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove out all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle, scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Isn't that an amazing scripture? That scripture used to disturb me. I'm thinking, gee, Lord, you know, did you lose it? And actually, I don't think he lost it at all. I think he was expressing something of the wrath of God. This is a sobering scripture. 
Does that make sense? Jesus himself said, if you know me, you know the Father. He was expressing something of the nature of who God is. We think, tend to think of Jesus as meek and mild. This is the other side. But there were other times when Jesus got angry. Uh, there was a time in John chapter 3, verse 4, Jesus asked him, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or do evil, save life or kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. That's Jesus. He had compassion. Jesus, when Jesus landed, saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had a sense of longing just before he left this, this earth. He, he cried out over, over Jerusalem, 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 you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. There's a real sadness and a longing coming from Jesus there. He expressed joy. I'm not going to read that scripture, just that he was so pleased when his disciples came back and reported what the Holy Spirit was doing through them. So glad. And then he was sad when Jesus saw her weeping. This is when Lazarus died. And he saw the family weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved and spirit and troubled. Where, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord. And there's the shortest scripture in, uh, of, in the Bible. Jesus wept. He was weeping because he saw the trauma and the loss that these people were experiencing. And then finally, just before his own death in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's, the scripture says this, he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My, whole, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And so we see that Jesus sh sh uh, showed a, a wide range of emotions, anger, compassion, frustration, longing, rejection, joy, sadness, anguish, and sorrow. And the point is this, is that God made us in his image. And so like him, we are emotional beings. And we experience both positive and negative emotions. And our emotions fluctuate widely depending on the event. Good event, good emotion. Uh, bad event, negative event, negative emotion. And really our emotions determine the quality of our lives, don't they? Whether they're pleasurable and filled with good things or miserable and unhappy. But we've been conditioned to believe that these negative emotions are wrong. Is that right? That if we have faith, we wouldn't have these emotions. And so I want to say again, these negative emotions are normal and natural. It's what we do with them that counts. How we manage them. You see, there, there's a door at the back of the hall there. The door's neutral. It's not wrong or right. What you do with the door matters. You can leave it alone altogether. You can close it nicely. You can slam it. And likewise with our emotions. They, they're not wrong in themselves. What counts, what's important, is what we do with them. So what do we do with our emotions? What are the ways that we handle our emotions? And there are four ways I want to touch on. Uh, things that we do with our emotions, three of them are negative, and then there's one positive. The one thing that we so often do with our emotions is suppress our emotions. We, we bury them. We don't allow ourselves to feel those things. Why do we do that? I think it comes from fear. Fear that it might get out of control. I know that sometimes 
uh, I think, well, gee, if I express my anger now, I, I'm kind of scared what I'll say or what I'll do. And so I just bury it. Or maybe embarrassment, because we think it's wrong. Shouldn't have these feelings. Maybe it's childish. Grow up. So we push them down. But here's the thing. There are consequences to that. When we bury our emotions, we bury them alive. They do not go away. They'll come back to bite us. And again, I haven't got time to go into detail of that, but I'm sure you're aware of that. So firstly, we suppress them. Then sometimes we repress our emotions. This is when we've suffered some kind of a trauma, long-term abuse, uh, and really where that memory is too painful to bear. And we cope with it by just suppressing the event, the memory of the event, and the emotions that go with it. And uh, repression is common in families where there's sexual abuse or alcohol abuse or violence. And being numb is a way of coping with all of that. I can cope if I don't feel. And so the problem is, is that when we repress, it's a psychological mechanism, when we repress, again, it doesn't go away. And it will be there with inside of us. And that wound festers. And often as an antidote, we kind of medicate against that pain with chemicals and compulsions and addictions. The third thing that we do with our emotions is they, we allow them to overwhelm us, where the emotion takes control. The emotion controls us. And this is when the, the negative emotion determines our behavior. This is what's given negative emotions a bad name. And we become an angry person. We become the emotion. We become an angry person. We become a depressive. We become an anxious person. It dominates our lives. And we tend to have this narrative, this language that goes on in our head. We retell the story over and over and over. And what that does is feeds it. And it grows. And so, of course, it's not a, a healthy way of dealing with an emotion. And then the fourth way I want to deal with is, is talking about a healthy way to deal with emotions, and that is to express, to acknowledge the emotion to yourself and express it. So to face it, feel it, and express it. So, so often, because we're not so emotionally intelligent, we're not even aware of what we're feeling. I know early in our marriage, AD would say to me, what's wrong? And of course, you know what the answer to that is. Nothing. <laughs> but, but at those times, I think I've grown a little bit since then. I think that the, the problem was, I didn't know what was wrong. What's wrong? Well, I'm actually not sure. And we need to learn to know what's going on inside of us. And it takes practice to be able to identify what that emotion is and allow ourselves to feel it, to face it, admit what that emotion is. That includes admitting past hurts, any anger and sadness from losses that we've experienced or disappointments or fears or anxieties and so on. And to allow ourselves to feel it, give ourselves permission to feel those negative emotions, get in touch with it as distressing and as painful as that might be. Remember, if you bury an emotion, you bury it alive. It'll come back and bite you. And here's the thing, folks. Emotional maturity is not determined by denying those emotions, which many Christians do, believing that it's not right to be angry or depressed or anxious. 
So rather, rather it's the integrity or the honesty with which the person lets themselves experience the full range of emotions and what he does with them, how he manages those emotions. That's emotional maturity. So how do we express? We've said face it, feel it, express it. How do we express it? There's various ways, and it's finding a, a, what works for you, talking to a friend, just saying how you feel, someone who's not going to tell you how you should feel, you say, yeah, but you should. Someone is just going to be listen to listen to you, and of course a counselor should be able to do that for you. Prayer, we're going to come back to this. It's just a, a brilliant way of expressing what we feel. I'm going to come back to that when we talk, look at the Psalms. You can talk to the trees, go for a walk and talk to them, make sure that no one's watching. <clears throat> we, we sometimes use the empty chair in counseling where we, we say, suggest someone takes a chair and imagine the person in there, what you would like to say to them. And again, it's harmless. You're just talking to the person in your mind. Writing can be very therapeutic. I don't know what it is. Maybe it slows our thinking down, but writing, journaling, keeping a diary, keeping a log is a way of getting out of what's inside of us. I remember talking to a, a farmer who was undergoing tremendous stress. And he, he said, you know, I normally can cope, but I'm just not coping. And he's not a desk person, but he started writing and he sounded, found it so helpful to get those feelings out. Writing letters, again, can be very therapeutic. Just don't send them. But again, writing. Drawing pictures, again, can be very helpful and therapeutic. And then finally, maybe confronting the person maybe is the last thing that you need to do in terms of expression. But I've said the Psalms give us great examples to follow. We see the psalmists expressing, psalmists, uh, the, 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 the authors that wrote the various Psalms. And the Psalms are songs that people sang to God. Prayers, if you like. We see David expressing his anger. Here's the scripture. May those who seek my life be like chaff before the wind. May their path be dark and slippery. May ruin overtake them. May they fall into the pit to their ruin. I think he's angry. Again, Psalm 55. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the grave, for evil finds lodging among them. Again, David is expressing his anger. In that same psalm, David expresses his extreme anxiety. Remember, we said, oh, you shouldn't be anxious. Well, here's David. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me, and horror overwhelms me. Psalm 55. In Psalm 42, the author of that psalm uh, is de designing a song or a prayer, and he expresses his depression. My soul is cast down within me. He asks the question, why are you cast down, O my soul? And he, he adds, tears have been my food day and night. He's, he's down. He's depressed. And he's telling God about it. And then in Psalm 32, the author of the psalm talks freely about his guilty feelings, how they make him feel lethargic, they make him feel energyless, uh, like on a hot day. He says, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer, then I acknowledged my sin and did not cover up my iniquity. And so there he is talking about how he's feeling, the guilt that he feels. I'm trying to put my watch somewhere. You know what it means when a preacher takes off their watch, don't you? Nothing. 
I'll try and respect what I've been asked to do. So we, we and we love the Psalms, don't we? I think we, most of us love the Psalms. And the reason we love them is because we can relate. As the psalmist expressed how they feel, we identify with that. This is something that's going on inside of me. And the psalmist, the people who wrote the psalms, are not shy to tell God how they feel. By the way, he knows what they feel, and he knows what you feel. You're just telling him what he knows. And as they cry out to him, so they turn to him, and they trust him, and they receive from him in that moment. So express how you feel. But it is important that once you've expressed that emotion, that you let it go. So for example, once you've expressed your anger, you need to let it go. You need to let the anger go. Forgive, in other words. It's not wrong to feel angry. It is wrong to stay angry. Does that make sense? Let it go. After acknowledging a worry and taking it to God, leave it there. Don't hold on to it. When we confess our guilt before God, accept his forgiveness. Let go of the guilt. So do express, but do let go. So these emotions are normal and natural. I want to say, though, that while these emotions in themselves are neutral, they should not determine our behavior. So I, I read to you those scriptures, David expressing his anger. He says, let death take my enemies by surprise. May ruin overtake them. And he expresses how angry he is. But you'll know the story where David twice had an opportunity to kill his enemy. Do you remember that? God, it seemed, had given his enemy Saul into his hands. And David had mercy on him. He says, uh, God forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. And here's the thing, folks. He was happy and free to express his anger. He didn't allow that anger to determine his behavior. So important that we give ourselves permission to feel, but let's not allow those feelings to dictate how we behave. And in this regard, remember, we are called to obedience. Whatever we feel, we're called to love our enemies. Isn't that so? Jesus said, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone is my enemy, I, I probably feel angry towards them, probably feel afraid of them, what they might do to me. Maybe sad that I've lost a relationship. But Jesus says, love them anyway. Behave in a way that is in their best interest. When he says, love your enemies, I don't think he's saying, feel all mushy about them. It's not about feelings. It's about behavior. Do and behave in a way that is in their best interests. Whatever you feel, whether you feel angry or afraid or despairing, just obey. Another example of, of where the separation of feelings and behavior is important is in the area of anxiety or when we feel afraid. You see, anxiety and avoidance go together. Very often we avoid those situations where we are anxious or we're afraid. We stay away from them. So, for example, if you are anxious about going to a meeting, it might be a Bible study, it might be some other business meeting, and you're anxious about it. And then so often we will look for a way to avoid that meeting. 
What that does is empower the fear. I know someone who delayed writing his exams for months because he was afraid of failing, afraid of what his parents would think should he fail. Another example is we so often struggle to share our faith openly, don't we? Because we are afraid of what people think. We're afraid we won't know the answers to their questions. And so what do we do? We just don't share our faith. We avoid. But Jesus commands us to go into the world and make disciples. So we say, do it afraid. Don't let the feeling dictate your behavior. Do it afraid. You'll find actually that the anxiety and the fear diminishes when you do that. Another area, and I'm not going to take time to do this, but you know, in the whole area of attraction to a person, sometimes people, well, I feel, you know, it might be same-sex attraction, it might be heterosex attraction, but don't let your feelings dictate your behavior. Just because you have those feelings doesn't give you a right to behave in that way. Does that make sense? It's obeying the Lord, whatever you feel. And then fourthly, and finally, we want to talk about using our emotions to bring change. So we've talked about the fact that negative emotions are normal, natural. We've talked about the fact that we need to learn to manage them. So face them, feel them, express it, let it go. We said don't let that emotion dictate your behavior. And then fourthly, we're saying use that emotion positively. We can use it to change our circumstance in areas over which we have control. So important that, that you, that's the rider that goes with this. Because so often we have negative emotions over things that we do not have control. So separate what's in your control and what's not. What's changeable, what's not changeable. But in those areas where there is change possible, where you have control, you can use this emotion to bring change in that area. And that can motivate you to bring change. So, for example, anger, if it's handled constructively, and again, that's a topic of another book, actually, not only a talk, but anger, if handled constructively, can lead to a critical conversation that can bring change to a relationship. And the scripture is full of that. Jesus talks about it. If your brother sins, go to him. If you find you've offended your brother, go to him. You must do something about it. And your anger can motivate you to do that. Anxiety and worry, if it's taken to the Lord, can help you, firstly, just to be uh, good in terms of planning, making sure that you do anticipate what might be coming up. But more than that, it can, be, can motivate you to be someone who prays continually, praying without ceasing, the scripture says. As you grow in your relationship with the Lord, that every anxiety is taken to the Lord. It becomes a lifestyle. It brings change. This anxiety can bring change to the situation. Depression can cause you to focus on a sure and certain hope because when things are hopeless here, then we turn to the Lord and say, Lord, help me know the hope that I have in you. And I know that Craig is very hot on eternal pursuits, isn't that so? And, this, and, and, and uh, depression is the very thing that can drive us to have that kind of eternal pursuit. And then guilt, of course, can lead to a change in lifestyle if it's handled properly. So those, those negative emotions can bring positive change to situations. But maybe more importantly is those emotions can be used to bring positive change to ourselves. They can bring inner change. And I'm talking uh, very briefly here about a huge topic. 
But here's the thing, folks, is that our emotions tell us of something happening inside of us. We say that they are like lights on the dashboard. They say something is going on. This last week, our little Peugeot, the red light came on, lacking in water. It's telling me there's something going on in the engine. And if I ignore it, the engine's going to cease. Likewise, when you have these negative emotions, they're saying something is going on. Take note. It's telling you something is going on inside. And here's the thing. These negative emotions are a clue to our subconscious goals. Not conscious goals. Conscious goals are things that we wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to do one, two, three. They're conscious. But we have unconscious goals as things. Things that we've taken responsibility and we, they drive us. They motivate us. And they emanate from legitimate needs. They come from needs that actually only God can fulfill. And when we try and satisfy those needs outside of God, in people or in situations or in possessions, we will have negative emotions. And so these are lights on the dashboard saying, hey, there's something going on here. In what way are you looking to people, looking to things, looking to circumstance, whatever, to satisfy a legitimate need? And again, very briefly, just the four categories of emotions. Anger, and anger includes irritation, frustration, contempt, resentment, bitterness, rage, all of those are under that category. They are, uh, the, the clue there, the unconscious goal is being blocked. I want to use the example of traffic. Uh, we, we all suffer the traffic in Zimbabwe, don't we? Um, and we get angry with the way people drive. And the thing is, is that there's an unconscious goal there. It's my safety, security. I have a need for security, and I, uh, that gets threatened. Or maybe it's fairness, people just pushing in. And how can you do that? And we get angry, isn't that so? And there are times when I've been very angry, and I have to confess that there have been times I've put my hand on the horn and sh shaken my, my fist. How can you do that? You know, why don't you drive properly? You haven't done that kind of things, have you? How much has it changed the way people drive? Not an iota. Isn't that so? All it's done has affected me. And I have tried to do something I, which is not in my control. And folks, I tell that story because it's to do with traffic. But we do that in life all the time. We try to control people. We try to make them do things that we want them to do for us. That spouse, our spouse, should love us like they, we need to be loved. They should respect us like we need to be respected. Now, love and respect are legitimate needs, but I cannot make a person do that for me. So let it go. Get that need met in the Lord. Does that make sense? So anger is a blocked goal. Anxiety, we say, is an uncertain goal. He used the illustration earlier. By the way, anxiety includes fear, uncertainty, stress, panic, doubt, apprehension, a whole range, but all within that category. Uh, and that's, we, we have that feeling when there's a goal, an unconscious goal, is uncertain. We don't know whether it's going to be reached or not. So I walk into a room and I become anxious. Maybe the goal is that these people ac accept me. Or maybe uh, that I, I measure up to their expectations. You experience that? And what's the problem with that goal? It's not in my control. I cannot make people accept me. I cannot make sh sure that they feel that I measure up to them. So I can get that need met in the Lord, 
can't get it met in other people. And so it can be very uh, helpful to see what's going on inside of me. Guilt as that category includes shame, embarrassment, inadequacy, inferiority, failure. And we experience that when we receive, when, when we perceive that we have missed the mark. We feel we've fallen short. And very often this category, it's, it's other people's expectations. It's when culture or family or even church sometimes is saying something that God isn't necessarily saying. Does that make sense? You should have granny for, for Christmas every year and the like. And sometimes we have what I think is a false guilt. And maybe, again, we're looking to try and please people, looking to try and get our needs met apart from God. And then depression, that category, which includes sadness, despair, hopelessness, loss, and grief. And we have that when there's a goal that is, we perceive as unreachable. It's when we despair of ever getting. It's when we have in a relationship and you think this is never, ever going to work. They're never going to love me like I need them to be loved or, or at work. And I'm never going to get that position that I thought I'd. Or I have got the position that it hasn't done what I thought it would do. I despair of it ever doing anything that I thought it would do. There's an unconscious goal that I have despaired of getting. The answer, get that need, the need that drives that goal, get that need met in the Lord. So there's a lot in what I'm saying, and I hope it's making sense. So it's important to identify those negative emotions, name them, but try and understand what that subconscious goal is that we are pursuing. So often those goals shouldn't be goals. They're not in our control. We're looking in the wrong place to meet those goals. And so in closing, just to summarize, it's important that we accept that negative emotions are normal, natural. We are emotional beings. Sometimes people say, well, you know, he's not an emotional person. Actually, he is an emotional person. We're all emotional people. But what we do with the emotions differs. Usually a person labeled unemotional is someone who doesn't allow those emotions to be felt and expressed. So, yes, Accept that negative emotion is normal, natural. Uh, identify what that emotion is. And feel, face it, feel it, and express it. There's two extremes with those emotions, suppressing it or allowing them to overwhelm us. There's a place in the middle. Whether it's anger, anxiety, depression, guilt, there's a place in the middle where we find a way of expressing it. After that, we can use that emotion to positive effect. So do face it, feel it, try and name it, then find a way of expressing it, then letting it go, and then using that emotion. Don't let it dictate your behavior, but use the emotion to bring positive change, both in the circumstance, but more especially within you. The change that can happen within you, if you understand what this red light is saying. Shall we pray?